Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. I pray that you are all doing wonderful, and thank you so much for joining us back here again for the 22nd episode in Series 18 on the topic of salvation. And today's topic is going to be suffering, and we're going to be talking about all the way back to the beginning and why it even exists and why it's here, all the way to now being in the power of Christ, how suffering can actually be very, very redemptive and purifying and uh, very powerful. So let's orient ourselves on where we've been all the way back to episode one in series 18. We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about what is Jesus doing on the cross. We talked about how in Jesus he restores right order and right relationship. Uh, Taste and see a personal invitation. We talked about grace. It's unearned free gift of God. We talked about a saving faith. We talked about uh, love. We talked about conscience and how conscience can accuse or excuse us. We talked about heaven, we've talked about hell, we've talked about purgatory, we've talked about salvation, are you saved? We've talked about free will and predestination and the sovereignty of God. We talked about the, the, the power and the reality of sin. We talked about penance and mortification and we talked about indulgences. And on those last two, penance and mortification and indulgences is very much wrapped up into the teachings of Jesus and and the power of being united to him and his suffering for the salvation of the world. So in this episode today on the topic of suffering, we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning and we're going to answer the question, why does suffering even exist at all? We're going to be talking about how God allows it. We're going to be talking about how actually suffering in the into this in this world can actually prove God's existence. We can we're going to talk about why uh, suffering is not a result of personal sin. We're going to talk about how Satan is involved in suffering. We're going to be talking about how uh, suffering is not just for the sake of suffering, but the power of being united to Jesus, how he chose to suffer for the salvation of the world. We're actually even going to address the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel uh, that has kind of ravaged America in the past uh, century or so. And we are going to use a lot of scripture about talking about Christ, his his suffering, and how we're united to Christ, and we're suffering for the salvation of others, and to rejoice in our sufferings. The it's a, it's the expected and normal part of Christian life, and we're going to be talking about how it purifies our hearts, and it's the pruning of the flesh to be walking according to the Spirit. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. Why does suffering exist at all? If there is a perfectly good God, good God all powerful, why is there suffering? Suffering and the destruction and the chaos and the division that we see in this world, the suffering that we see in this world, is a direct result of the fall. As human beings falling apart from grace, working outside of the means that God gave us, and is the direct result of the fall. God created everything. The biblical account of creation is glorious. He created everything, the stars, the universe, everything, and it called it good. And he created humans, and he called it humans very good made in his image and likeness and they were given everything in paradise and they lived in full communion with god and with each other and adam and eve and the devil as known as the serpent in the beginning and known as the serpent at the end the most cunning of all creation lied to adam and eve they said you can become god apart from god but they were already made in the image likeness of god so they believed in a lie and they fell and as a result of this fall Pain increases, division enters in, hatred enters in, suspicion enters in, lies enters in, destruction enters in, and the wages of sin is death. So death enters in, and Cain kills Abel, 
and on and on and on. All of human history is ravaged by this suffering that was a cause, a direct cause of the fall, the sin of Adam and Eve, and the falling apart of the whole creation enters into this what life is like apart from God. It's this broken world that is full of suffering. So, and we know that God allows it. God does not directly will suffering. God does not create suffering. God does not create bad things. God is goodness itself and only creates good. But God allows suffering because he can bring something greater out of it. He can bring greater good even out of destruction, even out of our disobedience, even out of the work of Satan. So God did not create it. And we know this because in wisdom, it talks about how God did not create death and he does not delight in the, destru- in the destruction of the living. And so God allows suffering to happen. And we see this most perfectly on the crucifix. God enters fully into suffering. And this is the most injustice, inhumane, in, like the worst thing that's ever happened in, in the history of the world is that the God-man was crucified by his creatures, perfectly innocent. And yet it brings the greatest good for the life, salvation, the fullness of joy for the world. And so God allows it and suffering is a direct result of the fall. But also suffering can prove God's existence. A lot of people struggle with, like, if God is real and he's all good and he's all loving, he's all powerful, then why can't he do something about it? And why doesn't he, why doesn't he just remove suffering? Why does suffering exist at all? Well, first, suffering can be relative to our position. So suffering here is, oh, maybe our heat goes out. But suffering in Africa, suffering in a third world country looks completely different. So our very basis of even saying something, like if we can identify that there's suffering is because we're seeing that there's a lack of good. But where does that value of good, where does that objective good come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. There's a right order and we we notice that there's something that there's there ought to be. So we see something, we see somebody suffering, we see ourselves suffering, we see these divisions, these things in the world, and this is all a part of suffering, but it's because we're seeing something that is the lack of good. So we're seeing something that ought to be there, which is goodness. And so we already have this value in our hearts, in our minds, that something's not right. And where does that compass come from? Well, it's because we are created from goodness itself and for goodness itself in God. And so our whole value of good goodness and how we value suffering actually proves God's existence. Without God, we would have no compass to say that's suffering. We would just say that's just another thing that happens. <laughs> well, no. We see bad and we call it bad. We see good and we call it good. And every single day we're making decisions on order in order to choose the good and avoid evil. At least that's where, what we're geared towards. And sometimes we even out of uh, we think that if we choose bad, it'll result in good. And that's actually always what we're seeking for is the good, even when we do evil. But all this proves God's existence because God is goodness itself. It's an objective reality. It's an objective truth. and There's an objective good. And that's why all of us, even without being fully conscious of it, are calling things evil or suffering when it's bad and calling things good when it's good. But we're still seeing that something ought to be there, and that's goodness. So, 
suffering is a result of the fall and the fall was a result of the devil lying to us and he continues to oppress and to lie and to use suffering to destroy the the human race who is made in God's image and likeness and has and God has an amazing plans for so uh, Satan hates this and so he uses suffering now that's not all always to over spiritualize any suffering and anything bad that's like oh it's always, it's always Satan no human beings we still do a ton of horrible stuff in the flesh but all of this is a result of Satan's uh, lies for one and Satan can use and uh, God does not directly will suffering and so Satan uses this to harm human beings. And this is even mentioned by Jesus. Jesus in Luke 13, 16, this is when this crippled woman comes to Jesus and is healed on the Sabbath day. And because Jesus healed her on the Sabbath, people had an issue with it, right? And so what does Jesus say, starting in Luke 13, 15? He says, Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So here, Jesus identifies this woman's suffering with the, the bondage of Satan. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is, St. Paul has been through a ton of suffering. He's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been lashed, he's been persecuted, he's been thrown. Yeah, it's, he's gone through a ton of persecution and suffering. And this is what he calls one piece of suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 9. And to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it, may, it should leave me. But he said to me, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So St. Paul here identifies that this particular suffering, and we don't even, we're not sure what it is. It might be a physical ailment. It might be persecution. It might be people falling away from the faith. It might be um, a certain sin that St. Paul's struggling with. And he calls it a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him. And he sees that it's this suffering is actually directly a result of Satan, and yet Jesus is allowing it to happen so that the power of Christ may rest upon him, but also so that he'd be purified, that his heart would not be too proud, that he would humble himself again and say, it is only through the grace and power of Jesus that I'm going to get through this and defeat the one who is lying to me and harassing me, which is Satan. And now we're going to move into our next part of how Suffering is not a result of, of direct personal sin. A lot of people think, oh, I'm being cursed if I'm suffering because uh, I must have done something wrong. And actually, people in scripture talked about this too. And we're also going to tie this in because this is beautifully is wrapped up into the false prosperity gospel about how, hey, if you just have enough faith, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, successful, joyful. <laughs> like Jesus is going to give you an abundance uh, here in this life of just, you're just going to be comfortable. And actually, if you don't have it, it just means that you don't have enough faith. So let's first address that, that people are not suffering because of direct personal sin. Although that can be the case, such as somebody who is living a life consumed in alcohol, they're going to have some health effects directly from that sin. 
But for the most part, people are not directly suffering from direct personal sin. It is a result of the fall where destruction and death reigns in this world. And so starting off in Luke chapter 13, it says that were some were present at that very time who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered thus? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so Jesus here is, is clear that just because these certain people, actually 18 people who died in the, this tower falling in Siloam, and same thing with these Galileans, and same thing with all these other people throughout the world, do you think that they're worse sinners because they're the ones that died or result, uh, as a result of this or you and you're still alive? Oh, they must have been worse off. Jesus here is emphatic, no. And this is hearkening back to the book of Job where he's suffering. And this is Satan directly uh, causing Job a ton of suffering. And Job is still a righteous man. And his friends, the entire book is basically his friends telling him like, Job, just confess, just repent, tell us what you did because you're suffering, therefore you must have done something wrong. And at the end, God says, don't listen to your friends. They have zero idea what they're talking about. And it is not a result of direct sin from Job. Or if we go to John chapter 9, this is the healing of the blind man. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they're connecting. They're trying to make this connection that he must be born blind for a reason. It's either his sins or his parents' sins. But Jesus answers, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. So Jesus here directly calls out, that it is not because of personal sin, but this is just a part of destruction and suffering in this world. And yet God is going to bring great good out of it, that he's actually going to lift up humanity higher than it ever could know, that to be partakers of the divine nature. We see uh, also St. Paul suffering. St. Paul was one of the greatest evangelists and on fire, zealous uh, evangelizer of the church in 2000 years. And yet he suffered some of the most stuff. He, and he actually boasts about his sufferings, right? He's been shipwrecked. He's stoned. He's been persecuted, scourged. He's all of these things. He's suffered hugely. Is that because of personal sin? I doubt it. The, some of the greatest faith in the world are people who are precisely being persecuted and suffering. Look at the people even currently in the Middle East in Africa, and China, places where it's either persecuted or third world countries, and these people have the greatest faith. Where is it that people have the least faith? Places of comfort and consolation and material wealth, like here in America. And so this whole narrative of just, if you believe strong enough, you're going to receive it. You're going to receive a bunch of money. You're going to receive uh, health. You're going to receive all these things. Nope you're going to die. <laughs> you're still going to die. And so this health and wealth gospel is a false gospel. And it is so sad. So many people are essentially looking for self-help with a Christian twist on it. The Like a lot of uh, TV evangelists 
or just this health and wealth gospel, this prosperity gospel is so sad to see so many people falling away from the true Christian faith for uh, really just to make idols out of something and using Jesus' name in it. So wealth and health are not bad. It's the love of that that we can put them above Jesus is when they become an idol. It can become another idol. And this is what very easily happens in this prosperity gospel. So wealth is not a bad thing. And scripture is very clear. It's the it's not money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And St. Paul says that to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10. But read the verse right before that. In 1 Timothy 6.9, this is what St. Paul says. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So this seeking after health and wealth by any means, this love of money, this love of prosperity is a temptation, a snare, a senseless and hurtful desire that plunges men and women into ruin and destruction. St. Paul could not be clear. And we're going to get into a whole lot of scripture later on in this episode about, you know, Jesus himself talking about uh, suffering and he must enter into his suffering and he's going to be crucified and, and the entire New Testament on the topic of suffering. And even when you think about what Jesus said about what it takes to be a disciple, he uses an analogy about how a builder counts the cost in order to plan ahead to build this building in order to finish well. But Jesus says in order to be his disciple in that entire context is you have to give up everything. You have to be able to renounce all that you have, all that you are, even your very life in order to be my disciple. So we know that it's part of the normal Christian life and it's expected. But here's just a few verses about um, what St. Paul talks about. Actually, people um, being in poverty and finding wealth in their poverty. And so he says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part. So he's saying these, these folks who actually through their affliction and through their extreme poverty, they have this overabundance of joy and liberality because they're not tied down to these the material things. They realize that they don't need these things. This is not what brings them happiness. And to be stripped away from that, they're like, wow, I'm fully liberated now because I realize that it's all about just walking in the presence of God. Or again, in uh, Hebrews 10, 32 through 34, the author says this, but recall the former days when... After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on the prisoners and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. So here the author is reminding them when they first became Christian, they were also persecuted and had this severe abuse and affliction upon them and yet they joyfully accepted it. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. They were okay. And this is not because they had a lack of faith. It was so precisely that their faith in Christ that people could do anything they wanted to them. I'm going to be just fine because God's love is greater than these material wealth. God's love is greater than suffering. God's love is greater than death. In the letter of James, in James chapter 2, verse 5, he says this, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? And then just two chapters later, St. James goes on to talk about how friendship with the world is being enemies with God. And he says this, starting in verse 1, What causes wars and what causes fighting among you? Is it not your passions that are at war in your members? You desire and do not have, so you kill. And you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And St. James continues from there to talk about how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and about submitting ourselves to God so that the devil will flee from us. And he, com- and he continues on this topic of humility. So we have to check. We have to do an examination of conscience. We have to check our emotions and check our desires and our passions. Are we just asking for things so that we can spend it on our passions or on earth- earthly, worldly, vain desires? And let's again go back to St. Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And he's talking about the end days. So we're going to have an entire episode about the end days and the rapture, so to speak. And a lot of people think that the, the true believers are actually going to be raptured out of this world and avoid suffering. St. Paul says the exact opposite. And Jesus says the exact opposite. And so the church teaches the exact opposite. But he says this in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. St. Paul says this, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Avoid such people." So St. Paul here is clearly teaching that at the end of times, all these things are going to happen. All these, all these, this strife is going to happen. This suffering is going to happen. And people are going to be holding the form of religion, but denying the power of it. Holding the form of religion, but denying the power of it. So St. Paul here is talking about a time when people will look religious, but deny the power of it. It'll just be an empty ritual. But he's saying this religion is actually powerful. And what is happening here in America is that we are holding the form of religion but denying the power of Christ. And part of this is the prosperity gospel. And to think that if we just have enough faith, then we'll be healed, we'll be good, we'll be healthy, we have we'll have money, we'll have success in our businesses, we'll have flourishing, uh, we'll have flourishing relationships. Say that to to the children in Africa who have no food. If you just believe, you won't be hungry anymore. False gospel. Just believe and you'll be happy. False gospel. No, pick up your cross and follow after Jesus. And again, health and wealth, this, these are all things that, that we all desire and they're good things. They're good things. But when we have in this prosperity gospel, by following Jesus, your life will become easier. That is an idol. Things that we put above God, our money, our health, our comforts, that is an idol. And so, therefore, it's they should be used as a means to an end. We work hard for to provide for our family. That's good. We work and to be able to spread the gospel with our money, with with our resources, our talents, our time, our treasure, our health. 
it's for the kingdom of God. And so these things, do not put them as an end. Put them as a means to an end. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about God. And it's all about holiness, us growing in holiness and union with God. And Jesus is working us. And probably everybody knows the scripture verse. It's probably on like a lot of uh, tattoos. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. This scripture verse though, this whole context is St. Paul talking about how he has learned in whatever state he is, whether he's in abundance or in want, to be content. And this is the secret of being in union with Jesus is like we can be stripped of everything. We don't care because to live as Christ and die is gain. And or we can live in abundance. And it's like, okay, great. God has blessed me with all this. I'm going to use it for the kingdom. St. Paul says this right before it and starting in verse 11, that not that I complain for of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. And in, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And so St. Paul, again here, the context is living in abundance or in want, being stripped of everything and living in dire poverty materially. And still in that, living a life in abundance spiritually in communion with Jesus, resting in his presence, resting in his spirit, moving in power and love. And that is where our true treasure is of the heart that we, that we want. And this is what um, the secret of the interior life is, that, that way of Jesus where we can, um, money is good, but are we using it for the kingdom? We can learn how to live in abundance. Or if we're stripped of everything, is that where we found our identity? No, we're not stripped away. We're sons and daughters of God and he's using it for good. And I trust in him and I still rejoice with my family. And we can still continue to love as Jesus calls us to. And so now let's move into suffering. So when we're going to be talking about this, and we talked about penance, we talked about mortifications, we talked about indulgences, and this is really, a lot of it comes being united to the suffering of Christ, right? So, but we do not suffer for the sake of suffering. Like, yes, I want suffering because yes, I get to suffer. (laughs) No, it is not for the sake of suffering. It is to be united to Christ. And in Christ, only a Christian can say this, suffering is powerful. Suffering is powerful. We can rejoice in our sufferings. Only a Christian can say that because we have a greater hope that God's love is greater than the suffering. God's love is greater than death, that we will all meet regardless if we're healthy, wealthy, successful. We're all going to meet the grave. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. And yet God's love wins. God's life wins. God's life reigns in Christ. So we're going to talk about this It's not for the sake of suffering, but it's being united to Christ and being united to God himself. So Jesus chose this. He said, it is necessary that the son of man must suffer and so enter into his glory. So it's fitting and necessary for the body, the church to follow the head, Jesus. And so Jesus chose this. He didn't have to. Jesus, God is all powerful. He could have snapped his finger and said, I forgive you all, come to heaven. (laughs) But no, God chose the cross. God chose to enter into fully human suffering. And so as Jesus the head enters into, so does his body, the church. So does the kingdom. So does his bride. And so we enter into fully with Christ into human suffering to fully redeem it, to bring the power of the gospel, to bring the power of God's love, his transformative power in the midst of suffering. And to be clear, humans, we all see physical suffering, but us in our in our world today, we see physical surf- suffering as the worst suffering. We try to mitigate any physical suffering at all. 
but truly the worst suffering is moral suffering. God and the Christian life, we see the worst kind of suffering is sin because it separates us from God and each other and isolates us into lifelessness and hopelessness. This is the root of all suffering because it was first the moral suffering that led to physical suffering. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Physical suffering is not the worst. Sin is the worst. And Jesus came to transform us, to save us from from our sins so that his power will be able to transform us, that we would be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So physical suffering is is bad. We all, we all feel it. But the worst suffering is moral suffering, where it all started in the first place and where it all continues. But f- physical suffering can be transformative. So the entire history of mankind into suffering was caused by sin and disobedience and the effect was suffering. There was childbirth pain. There was pain in general, sadness, death, etc. All of humankind would respond to physical problems and complain. So like think about even the Israelites. They were freed from Egypt. They were freed from slavery. What was their reaction? Man, we have some really bad food. We're out in this desert, in this hot desert. Just take us back to Egypt. But God... The entire time was calling them to change their hearts and minds towards God, to choose life, the true decisions that causes eternal consequences. So then in the fullness of time, Jesus shows us that suffering that was caused by sin is now transformed in order to be obedient and to transform into true life, true joy. Jesus says this, In this life you will have tribulation, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. That's John 16. 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so suffering is more powerful because now we're united to Christ. It's redemptive. And so we don't complain. We don't want to go back to our old ways because our old ways are sin. Our old ways are slavery to sin. Our old ways are slavery to sin, which is the wages of death. So we want to stay here in the desert, even if that means suffering with Christ. And before we get into a lot of scripture, Let's just look at Peter. And we did this in the, our last Always More Wednesday episode on the Eucharist and suffering. Peter is a beautiful example of suffering. When Jesus first revealed that he, as the Christ, is going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified, what does Peter do? He pulls him aside and rebukes him. So he's rebuking God that you're not going to suffer. <laughs> no way. And then later on, as Jesus and his apostles get closer to Jerusalem, and he keeps continuing to say, that the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinful people and will be delivered to the Gentiles from the Jewish people and even his own friends and be killed. They start ignoring him. And then the night comes that he enters into his suffering and he's alone in the garden against them and he's sweating blood. His disciples are indifferent. I'd rather sleep. (laughs) They're sleeping. Then he enters fully into his suffering. Peter denies him. And then, after seeing Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ's glory, St. Peter and the power of the Holy Spirit that he receives on Pentecost and continues to receive over his life is transformed. And he has some of the most powerful writings about suffering in his first letter particularly. And he would go on to be crucified upside down. And I'm really drawn by this lately is Satanists, they put the cross upside down. That should not remind us of Satan. (laughs) That should remind us of the power of Christ. Look at St. Peter. Look at other, other disciples who were martyred upside down. The power of Christ, the power of God, the power of love defeats Satan, sin, and death. 
And so this power of being united to Christ transforms our hearts so that we would even go through suffering, intense suffering for the sake of others, for the sake of love, for the sake of Jesus. And so Peter is this beautiful example of suffering. We first don't understand it. First, we want to rebuke Jesus about it. We get mad about God. We get mad at God for suffering or deaths in our family. Then we just don't even bring it up. Then we just straight up deny him. This example of Peter's life on his concept of suffering and our concept of suffering is very similar. Our humanity wants to first, we don't understand. Then we rebuke God. Then we just ignore it and try to avoid it. And then we even get to the point of denying Jesus. That is not a place that we want to be. So Holy Spirit, please fill us with with new, bold faith in Jesus, even in the midst of suffering, precisely in the midst of suffering. And this misunderstanding because is because we don't understand the cross of Christ. We don't understand the crucifix. When people pass away, people are like, why would God do this? Why would God allow this? Well, one, we're all going to die. Two, do we not look at the crucifix? Do we not understand what Jesus has done? Even Christians will be like, I don't understand. (laughs) Okay, we don't understand why this particular suffering would happen or this particular early death would happen. But yet, do we look at the crucifix and understand what God has done? God has done. God is victorious. God wins. Love wins. And this is precisely why we look at the crucifix, because Jesus entered fully into your suffering, precisely what you're going through and what you will go through in your death. Jesus enters fully into that on the crucifix, fully innocent, doesn't have to do this, enters freely, fully into it, fighting for you to redeem you. And he's fighting to destroy the, the, the works of the devil. And he enters fully into that on the cross to give himself fully to you. And he does so every single day in the Holy of Holies that we enter into through the Eucharist. And so he gives himself fully for you. This is the power of Christ. And so if we find our, in ourselves in a place of suffering, even for when we're perfectly innocent and we find ourselves suffering, we can go just as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, not as I will, but as your will. The flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Holy Spirit, fill me to be filled with love, to choose love, to choose God's will. And so, not as I will, Father, but as your will. And allow yourself to be united to Christ in that holy and sacred space, to be transformed by your mind, your heart, your soul, to be pruned and purified, that you only want God anyways. We don't need this comfort. We don't We don't have the this ends of work or a successful career or money. No, we, our hearts are made for God and our hearts are restless until they rest in God. Uh, so now we're going to get into a bunch of scripture about how his, Christ and his crucifixion, we're going to be talking about how it's actually uh, unites us and it's for, for us and for others. We're going to talk about how it's actually expected. It's part of the normal Christian life. We're going to rejoice in our sufferings and we're going to talk about the purification of our hearts through suffering. But one thing that's really been hitting me lately is that St. Paul in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, both in, in the entire context of how we are all members of the same body in Jesus, he talks about in Romans 12, 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
And in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, about the body of Christ, he says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So one, when people are honored, we have to rejoice because that is our body too. That's, that, that is the body of Christ. We should not have a comparative, jealous spirit. That is not a good place to be. And I have that. And we need to get rid of that. Holy Spirit, please purify our hearts. But suffer with those who suffer. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And when one member is honored, all rejoice together. The way that I've been kind of, I feel like the Lord's been showing me lately is that when we suffer with others, we're honoring them and therefore we re- we rejoice while we, su- while we suffer. So while we're suffering with others, we're actually honoring them and therefore that's all the more to rejoice. So we get to rejoice in our sufferings. So let's first talk about Christ and his sufferings. So it's very clear that in the Gospels, he comes to do battle with sin, death, and the devil. And right from the get-go, right when he's Right when he's born, he's put in a manger, and the wood of the cross points to the wood, or the wood of the manger points to the wood of the cross. And so he's there to do battle. And he continues to reveal and to show that he is going to go to Jerusalem and to be delivered from his friends, from the Jewish people, into the hands of the Gentiles, and to be crucified. And to anybody who would want to be my disciple, he must pick up his cross daily and follow after me. He must renounce all that he has, even his very life, and in order to be my disciple. So from the very get-go, Jesus, his entire mission is the cross. His message is the cross and his calling for all Christians is the cross. So St. Paul picks this up in talking about Christ in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 verses 20 through 25. He says this, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Jesus Christ, his crucifixion is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he says in that same letter in chapter two, verse two, he says that for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so this is the power of God being, uh, being proclaimed is Christ crucified. St. Paul in Galatians in chapter 6, starting in verse 14, and then we'll jump to verse 17. St. Paul says this, But far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And in verse 17, he says, For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And so he continues out the crucifixion of Jesus in his body for the salvation of the world. It's the power of Christ crucified living in us. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, the author says this, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, the author says this, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so we see here clearly that Christ's entire mission is through suffering. And as we said before, if this is what the head of the church does, this is what the body does. This is what the members do. And the way that I want to break up the, this last part of this episode is first we're going to talk about how it's expected and it's a normal part of the Christian life. Then we're going to talk about union with Christ and it's for the sake of others. And we're going to talk about purification of our hearts 
in through through suffering and pruning of the flesh. And lastly, we're going to be talking about how suffering is that we get to rejoice in it. So let's start out with the expected and normal part of the Christian life. Jesus, in John 16, 33, Jesus says that I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, you have suffering, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In the Acts of the Apostles, this is in uh, chapter 14, so this is St. Paul and Barnabas. After Paul was stoned outside of the city, he enters back in and starts preaching. And this is what it says, that Paul and Barnabas, they preached the gospel to that city. And in verse 22 of chapter 14, it says this, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then later on in Acts of the Apostles in chapter 20, this is when St. Paul is talking about how the Holy Spirit is actually revealing to him that suffering awaits him. So in chapter 20, verse 23, he says that, Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, bound in the Spirit, not knowing that what shall befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So it's by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit revealing to St. Paul that afflictions and suffering actually awaits him. So it's not something contrary to the Christian life. It's actually particip- it's, it's, it's anticipated. And then in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 17, St. Paul says this, And if we, children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also have, also be glorified with him. So suffering is part of the Christian life. In verse 35 of that same chapter, St. Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? All of these things in the Christian life cannot separate us from the love of Christ, is St. Paul's point. St. Paul, again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 5 through verse 7, he says this, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly to in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So, and you heard me talk about how, uh, from here, we're going to talk about how it's a normal part of the Christian life, but also union with Christ and for the salvation of others and purification of our heart and to rejoice. All of those aspects are included in each of these verses. All of it kind of comes together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, St. Paul says this, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. St. Paul again in Ephesians 3.13, he says this, so I, am, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Philippians 1.29, St. Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. St. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, he says this, For when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and as you know. St. Paul in 2 Timothy, writing to Timothy, he writes in uh, chapter 1, verse 8 and 12, he says, Do not be ashamed then of testifying of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but take your share of suffering for the gospel and the power of God. And then verse 12, he says, Therefore I suffer as I do, 
but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. In that same letter in chapter 2, verse 3, St. Paul tells Timothy, Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And again, in that same letter, the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 12, St. Paul says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And the last thing out of St. Paul in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse, verse 5, he says this, And as for you, always be steady, endure suffering, do the work of an, of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And there's uh, verses throughout Hebrews that we've already referenced uh, throughout this episode, but let's, so let's jump to James chapter 5, verse 10. James says this, As an example of suffering and patience, brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he's holding up the prophets who suffered on account for the word of God. And now we suffer for the sake of Christ. And then lastly, St. Peter in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 12, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you so to prove you, as though something strange were happening to you. And then again, St. Peter in chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, he says, St. Peter says this, Resist the devil, firm in your faith knowing that the same experience of suffering is required of your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you. And so, in short, all of those scripture verses show us that it's expected and it's a normal part of the Christian life, being united in Christ and his sufferings. And this is a good transition into this next subpart of this is being in union with Christ and for the sake of others. In Romans 12, 15, St. Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And similarly, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, St. Paul says, If one member, the member of the bodies of Christ, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. St. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8-10, through 10, St. Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have, count, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Colossians 1.24, St. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 19 through 23, St. Peter says this, For one is approved, if mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it, if when you do wrong and are beaten for it, you take it patiently? But if when you do right and suffer for it, you take it patiently, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin. No guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he, thrusted, he trusted to him who judges justly. Let's note here that St. Peter is talking about those who are suffering or are persecuted for doing right. And you know, even Jesus says, rejoice when those who persecute you or those men that revile you, but it's for doing right. Because we, are, if we're persecuted or hated by people and it's because we're a jerk, like that's nothing to rejoice in. That's actually just suffering for doing wrong, right? So, but Jesus calls us to love. And when we love authentically and we proclaim 
truth and goodness and, and propose and invite people in. And if we're persecuted wrongly and relied about, that type of persecution, where it's precisely for our Christian faith and precisely for our, our love that we have, then we can rejoice in our sufferings. But if we're just being a jerk, that's not real uh, persecution. That's not real persecution. That's just in the human flesh of uh, being a jerk and people having a natural reaction to people being a jerk. So don't be a jerk and do right to love people. And if you suffer rightly, you are united to Christ in a beautiful, powerful way and you can rejoice in that. And then again, St. Peter in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, he says this, But even if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, reverence Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to make an account for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence, and keep your conscience clear. So that, when you are abused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing right, if that should be God's will, than for doing wrong. And lastly, again, St. Peter in his first letter, chapter 4, verses 16-19. through 19, Yet if one suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but under that name let him glorify God. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous man is scarcely saved, where, where will the impious and sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will do right, and entrust their souls to a faithful creator. And so, so we see here it's clear that suffering is to be in union with Christ and for the sake of others, for the salvation of the church, for the salvation of the world. And I love that St. Peter says that it begins, this judgment begins with the household of God. And this suffering makes the church strong. It's particularly when we're feeling prosperous and comfortable of the world, it chokes the fire of love in people here in America and throughout the whole church. Suffering and persecution is when the church is the strongest because we get back to what matters the most, Jesus. Jesus is our everything. Jesus is our all. And so suffering, united to Christ, purifies our hearts and prunes our flesh. So let's go into that now. Purification of the heart. Romans 5 verses 3 through 8. St. Paul says this, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that it, suffering in, produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Romans 8.13, St. Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 12.14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Only a Christian can say that, is that we're going to bless the people who, who curse us, bless the people who persecute us. St. Paul, again, in 2 Corinthians 12, we already talked about this earlier, but this is when there was a thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I begged the Lord about this, that he should leave me, that this thorn in the flesh should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with per weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So St. Paul here sees the value of suffering because it purifies the hearts uniting to Christ. Second Thessalonians 1.5, St. Paul says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be made worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. 
Hebrews 12.6, For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. And why? To produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness and to share in God's holiness. And then lastly, 1 Peter 4.1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same thought, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. St. Peter is drawing on that if we suffer in the flesh, that means we're putting the death, the deeds of the flesh by the Holy Spirit to live according to the Spirit. And so we're suffering to put the death, the deeds of the flesh to purify our hearts. And so uh, now this last little part about rejoicing, rejoicing. We get to rejoice in our sufferings because of the promises of God. And so Matthew 5, this is in the uh, Beatitudes, Matthew 5 verses 11 through 12, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says that the, the apostles left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, St. Paul says that for any severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of liberality on their part. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, St. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials. And then chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, St. Peter says this in his first letter, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Powerful words about suffering in Christ. And so it is so critical as Christians to understand, to have a worldview through the lens of the gospel about suffering, is that it's a result of the fall. God allows it because he's going to bring greater good out of it. But it is a part of the fall and destruction that happened from disobedience and from, from the fall of the human race. And Satan continues to use it. But Jesus came to dismantle, to destroy it. We do not suffer all the time from personal sin. It's a part of, part of life that we all suffer. Health and wealth and prosperity are not bad things, but they cannot be an end of themselves. They are a means to an end. They cannot become another idol. And it is contrary to the gospel of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and the Bible, and the church, that being Christian means everything will be flowery for you. Everything will be successful. Everything will be easy. No. But we also know that in Christ, in his suffering, when we unite ourselves to him, it's not for the sake of suffering. It's for the sake of Jesus. It's for the sake of his body. It's for the sake of humanity. Jesus chose this, and we are united to him, and this suffering this physical suffering that happens becomes transformative and we will suffer physically in order to live righteously so that that moral suffering that happens, the worst kind of suffering is separation from God and that's what happens in moral suffering is from sin. And so we suffer physically in order so that we do not suffer morally. And we see Peter as this beautiful example and we get to rejoice in our sufferings because we are united to Christ, Christ and him crucified it's an, it's an expected and a normal part of the Christian life. We're united with Christ and with others. We purify our heart. Suffering can purify our hearts united to Christ. And we get to rejoice because God's love is greater than suffering. And in our weaknesses, we fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. 
and we rejoice in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Mm-hmm.